lives. We thank you, Lord, for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord. Heidi Husted, in an article in Preaching Today, an article she entitled, The Sermon on the Amount, very nice, clever, right? The Sermon on the Amount, she shared this little illustration as she was uh, pontificating on this parable that we're looking at this morning. She gave this illustration. She writes, several years ago, construction workers were laying a foundation for for a building outside the city of Pompeii. They found the corpse of a woman who must have been fleeing from the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, but was caught in the rain of hot ashes. The woman's hands clutched jewels, which were preserved in excellent condition. She had the jewels, but death had stolen it all. That's the bottom line in life, she writes. Worldly treasure is not a wise investment because you can't take it with you. That's a true adage, isn't it? You can't take it with you. But is that what this parable is about? Is it about that homespun wisdom, that truism that we can't take it with us? Is that what Jesus is trying to teach us in this parable? Our focus this morning is the parable of the rich fool, and our goal is to try to understand the point of the parable what Jesus is trying to teach us. And the way we will do that is in our standard fashion. We'll first look at the parable proper. We'll look at the facts and the circumstances and the story and the character of the parable, kind of get our hands around it. And then we'll ponder a couple of questions that hopefully will open our minds and open us to understanding and grasping what it is Jesus is trying to teach us in the parable and perhaps what he's not trying to teach us. And then finally and thirdly, we'll get to the point of the parable. Answer that so what question. That is, what does this parable mean for us today? What is it that Jesus wants us to understand in our lives right now? So let's begin by looking at the parable together. And one of the unusual features of this parable is that it starts with a prelude. There's this little vignette, this little story that 
uh, commences this part of this passage that introduces the parable of Jesus. This little story about a man who approaches Jesus and he has this estate litigation problem, right? He comes to Jesus because his brother won't give him his share of the inheritance. And it wouldn't have been unusual for someone to come to a rabbi for adjudication of such a thing in this time, this matter of wisdom. And so this man comes to Jesus. He's trying to have him settle this case for him. So what is the problem this guy has? Well, this guy's father died, left an inheritance, but this guy has an older brother. And the law at that time designated that the eldest son got a double portion, but also held control over the estate, and the estate often involved at this time illiquid assets like land and things like that. And so it was really up to the older brother when things would get divided in the estate. And so this guy was waiting for his distribution that his brother wouldn't give him, and he wanted Jesus to make his brother give him these, uh, his inheritance. You can see in the request in verse 13, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. How does Jesus react to that? He kind of tells the guy to go pound sand, right? He, he kind of shuts him down in a very strong way in verse 14. But he, that is Jesus, said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbiter over you? And then Jesus throws in a little zinger, right? He throws in this zinger that sets up our parable. And notice he kind of changes to whom he's speaking, verse 15. And he said to them... So he's not just speaking to Jesus, but to the crowd. He said to them, take care, be on guard against all kinds of greed for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And that's the prelude into the very parable that Jesus tells, right? After that, he launches into the parable proper. And in that parable, it involves these two characters. It's a very simple story and very simple in its characters. The first character, of course, is the rich man. And what do we know about him? Well, we know he's rich. We know he's in the agricultural business. He's a farmer and he has really good land. His land has produced for him abundantly. He has this abundant crop. And so his problem is he has a surplus he has more than he can handle, more grain than he has room in his barns. And so to solve that problem, what does he do? Well, he tears down the existing barns and he builds bigger barns to hold them. And this is what he thinks this will get him. We're allowed to see into his mind. Why is he doing this? Well, this will provide for him a life without worry. He can eat and drink. Be merry. He speaks to this, uh, verse 19, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. That's our rich man. What does he want? The good life. The American dream, right? We can all identify with that. Who doesn't want to eat, drink, and be merry? That's our rich man. The second character in the story, the only other character here, is God himself. And God gets this little kind of cameo appearance. He gets just one line in this, but he delivers it with gusto. You can see it there in verse 20. But God said to him, said to the rich man, 
You fool! This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And then Jesus comes in at the very end and delivers the punch of the parable, the explanation, verse 21, so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. So that's our little parable. That's what it is. It's a very simple one. Now, let's think about that parable a little bit. Let's do some pondering. Let's think about some questions that it raises that may help us to kind of unfold the onion of the parable, to get to the point that's at the center of it. And I've just got two little things to ponder this morning, two questions. The first question is this, is Jesus against 401Ks? This is a good one to listen to, everyone. In other words, is Jesus against retirement planning? Saving for the future. Is retirement planning itself a sinful thing? I mean, if you think about this guy, what was he doing? He was storing up out of his surplus for the future. Isn't that what we're all told to do, right? To save for our retirement, to take a portion of our wages, to put it away in the barn, if you will, for the future so that we can have the good life in our retirement. Is Jesus against that? a good question. I think Robert Sirico, in his little book on the parables, the economics of the parables, I think he answers it well, deals with it summarily. He says this in his book, do we learn from this parable that we should not plan for the future? Hardly. People who do not plan for the future are rightly seen as frivolous and irresponsible elsewhere in the parables of Jesus, such as the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, the wise and foolish builders, the unjust but shrewd steward. You see his point. If we were studying all of the parables, you would see that many of them deal with the failure to prepare for the future, that that is something Jesus warns us against. He tells us to be prepared. He's not speaking here against preparation for the future. He's not speaking against retirement planning. Proverbs makes the same type of point, right? Look to the ant. You know, the, person, the wise person is a person who prepares for other times and seasons of life. This is not against retirement planning. Joseph planned for the future, right? He stored up grain just like this guy. The problem Jesus is addressing is not retirement planning per se, and that's somewhat of a relief, right, to all of us here. I can keep my pension plan. But hang on, he's got more to say. How about another question? Is Jesus against rich people? If this isn't about uh, people saving for their retirement, is it about Rich people, is Jesus against rich people? Some people want to put Jesus in that box, right? Some people want to make Jesus a socialist. Some people want to make Jesus a capitalist. He was neither of those things. But was he against rich people? It's often more complex when we come to who Jesus is, right? He certainly had a bias for the poor, and the poor were more receptive to the gospel, which remains true to this day. Jesus certainly had hard things to say to rich people, right? Warnings he gave to rich people. But he preached the gospel to poor and to rich alike. He ate with rich people. He accepted gifts from rich people. The disciples understood that they needed money to carry on their activities. They had a purse. 
In Luke chapter 8, we learn that wealthy women helped to support the work of the disciples and the church. He was buried in a tomb donated by a rich man. Wealth can and often is used for good. And poverty really is no badge of honor, nor does it insulate one from the risks of greed. It doesn't make you less greedy to be poor. Klein Snodgrass, in his book on the parable, on this particular parable, writes this. He says, it's worth making explicit that parables like this are not merely for the wealthy. Have you ever thought of that? We should think of that. Sometimes we want to put these parables off and say, well, that's not me. I'm not rich. He goes on, a person does not have to be wealthy to be like the rich fool. It may be easier for the wealthy to treasure up for themselves, but those without resources can be just as driven by greed and just as wrongly focused on things instead of God. I think that's true. This parable is for everyone. It's not about Jesus being against the rich. Money can and often does do really good things. I, I see that. I'm thinking about uh, at, the, at RCS, at the Rochester Christian School, and just recently some of the good things that money has helped do, like build a music room for the kids and to redo the gym area. Those things are good. Money has good things. It can do good things. It has benefits. The other day I read this uh, quote about money. Money isn't everything, but it definitely keeps you in touch with your children. <laughs> it's true, right? <laughs> Money does lots of things. So I don't think the problem with this guy was that he was wealthy. That's not the problem. The problem was not with what he possessed even. The problem really is in what he lacked. Not in what he possessed, but in what he lacked. And that kind of leads us into the third part of this, to the main idea, to the point of the parable. So let's get to that point. And as I've said, the point of the parable is not so much in what this guy possessed, but in what he lacked. That is, if we want to understand the parable, we need to identify what is it that this man lacked, not what he possessed. And I think Jesus gets at that. He shows us that that's really what he's trying to drive at, what this guy was lacking. Listen to what Jesus says again as he tells the parable in the parable, verse 20, But God said to him, that is the rich man, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich towards God. Now, do you see it there? Do you see what this man's problem was? Now, many look at that and they think the point is in verse 20. You fool the very night, your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? They think that this is that adage, that old homespun wisdom, you can't take it with you, right? Whose will they be? Why are you wasting your time? It's all perishable. You can't take it with you. They kind of focus on what the guy has as being the point of the parable. But is that really what Jesus is talking about? Is it really that illustration that I began the sermon with? From that sermon on the amount, the idea of that woman at Vesuvius you know, clinging to the jewels. Is that really what this is about? What we are possessing? I don't think so. I think it is about what this man lacked. 
I think the point is in verse 21, where Jesus says this, So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. Do you see the point? The problem was not that he was planning for the future, nor was it that he possessed a lot of stuff, nor that he was rich. The problem was he was not rich enough. He did not possess enough because he was not rich towards God. That's what made this guy a fool, a rich fool, was that not what he possessed, but what he lacked. Robert Sirico puts it this way, the real problem with the rich fool is less that he was rich and more that he was a fool. It is not so much that he was financially wealthy, but spiritually impoverished. In the end, this man did not possess too much, he possessed too little. That's what this parable is about. It's what this guy lacks not what he possessed. So what was it that he lacked? Well, oddly enough, ironically, a good retirement plan. He had a horrible retirement plan. He made massive retirement planning mistakes. In fact, he made two classic retirement planning mistakes. And this is what this man lacked. The first mistake he made was that he failed to diversify. He failed to diversify. Diversification is one of the tenets of modern portfolio theory. If you want to have a good portfolio, you want it to be diversified. You don't want to over-concentrate in a few assets. You want to diversify among a variety of asset classes. But this guy concentrated his portfolio, his retirement portfolio, in just two assets. He failed to diversify. The first asset that he over-concentrated in was, in fact, material, earthly, temporal goods. For him, it was all about grain and barns and bigger barns and the stuff of life. That's what he invested his life in. He over-concentrated his life. Nothing spiritual, nothing charitable, nothing imperishable. He was over-concentrated in earthly goods. It's all he cared about. That's all he invested his life in. How about you? Look at your life. What are you investing your life in? Is it all about stuff? Is it all about bigger barns? Is it all about more grain for the future? There's nothing wrong with earthly goods. There's nothing wrong with enjoying them. The problem this guy had is that's what he made his life about. He believed in that other kind of homespun wisdom of our time. You know, he who wins is he who dies with most toys, right? It was about the stuff. Is that what your life is about? Are you making that retirement planning mistake of failing to diversify your life? Is it just boiling down to Investing in material, earthly, temporal things. And the second retirement planning mistake he made, I'm sorry, the second asset he over-concentrated in as far as lack of diversification, that's his first error, was one, he invested only in the asset of material, earthly, temporal goods, and the other asset he invested in was only himself. Two assets, goods and me. Stuff and me. 
He wasn't solely concerned about his own welfare and his own happiness. Instead, he puts, he puts all stuff, as God puts it in the parable itself, he says, store up treasures for themselves. It's not storing up the treasure that necessarily is wrong. It's storing it up for yourself. Store it up for themselves. That's the problem. Do you see how self-referential this guy is? How it's all about me? Verses 17 through 19. Listen to how this guy talks about himself. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will put, pull down my barns and build larger ones. And I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. You see what he's about. He's about stuff and himself. And let's face it, folks, that is really what our culture wants to seduce us into believing and into rewarding. Get stuff and do it for yourself. An over-concentrated portfolio, a lack of diversification in life. And how about you? Is that what your life is if you boil it down, if you distill it? Is it all about acquiring stuff for myself so I can be well? Are you over-concentrating your life in yourself? That's the first retirement planning mistake this guy made. He failed to properly diversify. It was all about him. It was all about the stuff. And the second mistake he made is that he did not properly account for his longevity. He did not properly account for his longevity. This is another classic retirement planning mistake. It was just written about in the Wall Street Journal a few weeks ago. Longevity risk. What's that? That is, people are retiring younger and younger and failing to realize they're living longer and longer and their money's going to run out. It's one of the risks of retirement, right? It's longevity risk. And this guy makes this error of longevity risk. He miscalculates his investment time horizon and he does it in two ways. He does it wrong on the short end and on the long end. He gets it wrong. First, he messes up his investment time horizon on the long end because he underestimated how long that long end is. And what I mean by that is that he had no account for eternity in his retirement plan. It was all about now, about enjoying this life. He made no account for eternity in his plans at all. For him, it was about eating, drinking, and making merry. He failed to think about the life after are you making that same mistake in your life? That there's nothing beyond this. That there's no transcendent, uh, immaterial experience. There's no accountability beyond this world for what you do in this world. It's a basic, fundamental part of theism and of Christianity. All of the ethical imperatives are under this idea that there shall be a day when Christ shall come to judge the living and the dead, that He shall return, that we shall be accountable afterwards. This man made no account for that. He didn't realize how long his investment time horizon is, that it would go on forever, that he would indeed meet his maker. 
And on the second side of that, on the short end, he also made a mistake as far as his investment time horizon in that he didn't understand how short that time horizon might be. That his life was like a demand loan, a callable bond. That his life could be called by God in a moment. That he may not live to eat and drink and be merry and to enjoy all that stuff he stored up in the barn. And that's what God says to him. You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And Jesus even uses the financial term when he says demanded of you. It's a financial term. It's like calling in a loan because he's trying to tell this guy, your life is not your own. Your life is on loan from God. And that's true for us. And are you living your life in light of that reality that your life could be called home at any minute, are you ready to meet your Maker? And are your accounts in good order? This guy made two classic spiritual retirement planning mistakes. He failed to diversify beyond worldly goods and himself, and he failed to account for the time horizon, for his longevity in the sense of eternity, and for his brevity in the sense of mortality. And beloved, we make the very same mistakes. That's why Jesus tells us the story. To shake us up a little bit. So how can you avoid making those retirement planning mistakes in your life? Well, let me give you some retirement advice. The first one is obviously diversify the portfolio of your life. Make your life about more than investing in yourself and in stuff. Make your life about God and about others. That's what it means to be rich towards God. That's what this guy lacked, right? He didn't care about God and he didn't care about other people and so he was impoverished. He lacked good knowledge. He was not rich towards God. So live your lives that way. For God, for others. And that means to give. That means to give. And I mean give your grain, give your money. Don't underestimate the spiritual importance of giving. William Willimon puts it this way, I think that a major theological justification for giving to the church and to the poor, for tithing of our income, is as a remedy for greed. I have found over the years that giving away at least 10% of my income is a way of reclaiming part of what I have as a gift of God, as an undeserved, unearned grace for me and my house, he says. That 10% is a sign of our freedom. We may give far too much of ourselves away to acquisitiveness, yet at least there is a percentage of our souls that is by the grace of God yet free. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying giving is a prophylactic against making your life about yourself and about stuff. It's this thing that God gives you to set you free from that type of bondage. So diversify the portfolio of your life. Make it more than you're about yourself and your stuff. And second and finally this morning, live memento mori. Memento mori, sic transit gloria mundi. Remember your death, all earthly splendor fades. 
that phrase was said by slaves into the ears of Roman generals after triumphant victories to make sure they didn't get a big ego or get their priorities out of order. Remember your death, memento mori. And in a sense, I think that's exactly what Jesus is trying to say to us when He's shaking us up with this parable. Remember your death. Remember that you can be called home at any time. Remember that your life is not your own. It was bought with a price. price of that was Jesus and His death. Live your life. Memento mori. Why? Because just like giving, it's great portfolio insurance, if you will. It keeps your priorities in order. It helps us to be rich towards God because it reminds us that our lives are a gift from God and that He can call that gift in at any time. And that we will stand before Him and give an account for our life. And that's why Jesus met with that guy at the beginning of the story, that whole prelude, because he tells that younger brother what? He tells them when he wants that money from his estate, he reminds him about what life is really about. And what does he say to him? One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Instead, he tells us in this parable that life consists in being rich towards God, and that is loving God and loving our neighbor. So take and heed the advice of Jesus. Don't be a fool, not even a rich fool. Make your life more than just about stuff and yourself. Be rich towards God, and you will know abundance unbounded. That's a good retirement plan. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, we thank you for the rich abundance that you do give to us. And we are a blessed people. And Lord, we pray that we would live wise lives, not foolish ones. Help us to invest in the kingdom of God. Help us to not be fools. Help us with all that we have with all that we are, to be rich towards God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.